Hey there, before we get to this week's podcast, we want to ask you a quick favor. If you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, can you take one minute to go to the app and rate the podcast for us? It helps people like you find podcasts they like, like this one. It is the podcast equivalent of getting your friend to stand on top of the TV and hold the bunny ears in a way that the signal gets through so that you can watch your favorite show. And in this case, help other people find their new favorite show. Thanks. You're listening to On The Record Offscript. My name is Mark Coffin, and I'm your host. It's been about a month since the Nova Scotia election, and a week and a half ago, MLAs were sworn in at Province House. I, Eddie Orle, do swear that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to the Queen, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, her heirs, successors, according to law, so help my God. There are some pretty specific expectations when a new MLA arrives at the House of Assembly. MLAs must bow towards the speaker's chair and the member speaking whenever they enter the house, cross the chamber, or take their seats. When crossing the floor, they must not come between the member speaking and the speaker's chair. And there are rules about how you must move about the chamber depending on whether the sergeant-at-arms is moving the mace or whether it's sitting at the table that sits in the middle of the house. The architecture of the legislature has an almost church or temple-like feel to it, and when you watch MLAs walk about it, bowing and being mindful of their footsteps in order to follow these rules, this reinforces that feeling. These are the most specific rules, and they represent some of the only written rules about how an MLA is to go about doing their job. Of course, the expectations of what MLAs should do in their role go beyond the ceremonial functions that are written down, like bowing to the speaker upon entering the chamber. Ceremonial functions are written down in the House rulebook, but many of the expectations placed on MLAs by party and their constituents are not. They'll, they'll say, I mean, any media or any, you'll hear it a lot, is that your first job is to get reelected. You know, you're, you get elected, so your first reason to be is to get reelected. And I don't know that, I, 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 uh, I don't know if that's a road that I would take. I didn't do anything to get reelected, so I didn't get reelected. <laughs> what do you see as um, the ideal role of an MLA? Well, uh, an MLA has a number of different roles. Uh, That's Art Donahue, former Progressive Conservative MLA for Halifax Citadel and former Speaker of the House of Assembly. First of all, uh, he or she has to represent the people who elected him or her. Uh, he has to be a spokesperson for their interests. Uh, he has to uh, familiarize himself with uh, legislation as it uh, is presented, uh, first of all in, in the caucus, and then subsequently as it proceeds through the legislature. Um, he has to have an, uh, you know, a good overview of government policy, what the government is trying to do. I'm, I'm assuming now he's a government member or he or she is a government member. Uh, if they're an opposition member, then they have to familiarize themselves with the, uh, if I can put it this way, the negative side of what the government is, is proposing. And um, uh, so uh, it's, a, it's, it's a very varied Kind of job. Art's answer, up until this point, is a textbook explanation for what an MLA is supposed to do. They care about public policy and work towards making it better. It's something we heard from a few MLAs that represent Halifax ridings, in part because there was less demand for their attention from constituents than in rural ridings. 
In rural ridings, constituents expect their MLAs to focus on more local issues, issues that might otherwise be dealt with by a municipal government. And in urban ridings, the micro-local requests that an MLA receives are often passed on to their municipal counterpart. Sometimes had to get involved in issues that were... uh, uh, appropriate for the municipal level and and refer them to the to the those people to the alderman alderman is the word they used to use before the word councillor became dominant I'll, I'll say this and i don't know if others have told you this but there there is a difference in the work done by a member who represents a rural constituency and one representing an urban constituency because you have that other layer of government, the municipal government there. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of problems that people have are related to issues that are dealt with at the municipal level. So a, a, an urban member does not get the same kind of demands that a rural member gets. Here's Charlie Parker, another former speaker and an NDP MLA from the riding of Picto West on the demands a rural MLA gets. When somebody calls you and says, uh, you know, I've got no money left, uh, my rent is overdue, and I, I need heat, uh, you know, to, or food for my children, uh, you soon find the right contact, uh, you know, within the Department of Social Services, or or if it's a road issue, uh, you, you soon find out who the local foreman is or the, uh, the manager for the local Department of Transportation or whatever. Well, I had a group of volunteers, and we would have people come to the MLA office and okay. drop off their income tax returns. It's part of a national program, but we set it up so that it was through the MLA office. Uh, we help people with letter writing. A lot of your time is spent with uh, things like uh, workers' compensation, community service issues take a tremendous amount of time. Okay. Uh, things like the snowplow hit my mailbox, uh, the bushes on the side of the road aren't being caught, how come my road didn't get graded this summer, those kinds of things. The, the, and and obviously issues like uh, doctor recruitment, uh, hospital ER closures, th- those things are very front of mind for people in rural Nova Scotia. Those kind of same things are not as prevalent for someone who's a, an MLA in, in the metropolitan area. The expectation from constituents of MLAs was to solve the problems people presented them with. And for most MLAs, they responded by working to meet that expectation. It all comes back to the to the you know to the MLA to you know to find a solution for somebody. Okay. Oh, there were mainly issues about their constituents had a problem. What could you do to help solve it? That kind of thing. It wasn't. They weren't uh, earth-shattering items. Or they were day-to-day kind of people, people-related issues. Now, not everyone accepted this idea that it was their job as MLA to solve any problem their constituents came to them with. Tim Olive, a former progressive conservative MLA, explains how he handled these kinds of issues, issues where constituents weren't looking for a legislative solution when they landed on his desk. Boy, there's so many things in MLAs involved, and to, to say the you know what's the, the primary role or the ideal role, uh, it really is it's it's communication uh, and. Not solving issues, but being able to uh, move the process of the issue through the system intelligently. Um, and I say intelligently because if you take on a you take on an issue that a constituent has, you don't you don't take it on and tell them up front I can solve this because there's a good chance you can't. 
Now, I, I would not be the one that resolves that problem, but I would make sure that this lady was able to talk to the people that can. That's the sign of a good politician. And I think that's what a politician's primary role is. And they need to be able to do that for everybody. They need to be able to have that communication, regardless of the politics, with everybody. If you're like me, when you hear these kinds of stories, part of your reaction might be to roll your eyes at the notion that an MLA takes on the responsibility for many of the things a lot of us probably do on our own. I file my own taxes. I take the time to figure out which level of government is responsible for something before I pick up the phone. And I'd probably fix my own mailbox if the plow hit it. Might not be happy about it. But I'd wait in line until it's my turn or speak up on my own behalf when I need a better or quicker service than the one the frontline worker is willing to provide. And that likely contributes to the bias that I bring to a story like this. I think MLA should be spending more time on crafting good legislation and, and critiquing bad legislation in order to make it better. But when Louise asked George Archibald what the ideal role for an MLA is, his answer and his explanation gave me some pause. He answers his phone, his emails, his, and represent the people. See, it's funny. Um, I had a guy working for me one time, and when somebody in welfare called with a problem, didn't pay any attention to them. You know, they're in welfare. Well, those people you have to pay attention to. When somebody calls their MLA, they've been thinking of it. Sometimes they'd call on Saturday. Yeah. They just why the hell they wait? Said the reason they waited till Saturday is it's been bugging them on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday. And finally, they build up the nerve to call you. According to George, for most people, their knee-jerk response when faced with a problem isn't to pick up the phone and dial a total stranger to ask for help. So in order for them to get to the point of calling someone in elected office for help, things can't be going that well for them. But for an awful lot of people, it's a big deal when they call their MLA. And the MLA better make that a big deal too, no matter how ridiculous it is. It seems to the MLA, to the person on the other end of the phone or you're meeting with, it's not ridiculous and it's not simple. I mean, it's little things, you know, something small that maybe you wouldn't even think about, but that was bugging them. And they call you and you better pay attention and you better call them back. And that was the only thing I ever promised. I'll call you back, you know, because then we... You know, when I got elected, they didn't have internet, they didn't have um, um, email. We had the telephone, fax machines, things like that. Um, so the telephone was very, and it wasn't a mobile phone either, it was a landline. So um, they couldn't get a hold of you 24 hours a day. Um, so it was important that when they did call, you call them back as soon as you got the message. And, uh, and that's important. It sounds important. And so does lawmaking and public policy making. Here's Alexa McDonough reflecting on how she thought about the balance of these two elements of the job. I, I have a hard time saying sort of primary and secondary because I think it's not either or, it's both and. I think it's both to represent your own constituents who elect you. I mean, that's democracy depends on that. But also, to the best of your ability, to honestly and ably represent and acting consistent with the policies that your party put forward to the public. I think it's a both-and thing. It's not either-or. You know, it's not... You know, I think the success of a politician is probably whether they get the 
the right blend of that, the right balance in in that. You know, some you know you're expected to be cons- consistently acting, you know, in a responsible leadership fashion um, at the most local level around the most local concerns, you know, of garbage disposal all the way to global issues and a lot of complexity and all that. What would the breakdown be of when people are coming into your office hmm. for, for something? It sounds like there's some people are coming in for, um, they personally need help with something. Whether yes. Business or yeah. Their, yeah. Their need. Uh, and healthcare issues versus they come in and they have opinions about the way yeah. certain things in the government should be right. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't directly yeah. affect them. Yeah. I guess what proportion of which would you... Didn't get a lot of that. I mean, you yeah. get that at the hockey games Saturday night, say, I think the, <laughs> you know, that stinks or should be changed. Right. Uh, but no, not too many people came into the office and said that uh, you know, unless they had a direct complaint about some particular issue, mm-hmm. you didn't get too many uh, people come in and I just want to share these ideas with you. You didn't get a lot of that. Back to the podcast in a moment. Offscript is made possible thanks to the contributions of listeners like you. You can contribute as a monthly supporter to the podcast at offscript.ca slash donate for as little as 5 8 or $12 a month. Mike Nunn is one of those donors, and here's why Mike decided to support the podcast. I chose to support this podcast because it opens up the experience of candidates and elected MLAs to the average voter. This gives a different perspective on how the Legislative Assembly in Nova Scotia operates that isn't available elsewhere. This podcast, along with Springtide's other initiatives, are enabling conversations on how to improve our political process. I'm happy to support Offscript and would like to thank Mark and Sandra for their efforts. Thank you, Mike, and to all the donors who make this podcast possible. We encourage you to be like Mike and visit offscript.ca slash donate. Every donation goes directly to the cost of creating the Offscript podcast, and if you donate more than $25 in a year, you'll get a tax receipt for your charitable donation to Springtide, the organization that produces the podcast. All right, back to it. When Louise sat down with Clary McKinnon, a former NDP MLA, he shared what the constituency side of the job looked like for him as a backbench MLA. I have a deep voice. <laughs> Sandra Hennebaum brings us Clary's story. Clary served as the MLA for Picto East from 2006 to 2013. As a backbencher, Clary spent his time helping constituents access and navigate government services. When there was someone who needed help and government services weren't going to cut it, he often just did what he could to provide the service himself. A lot of people were going through hard times and uh, uh, they would get notices and their power bills were behind and then they would get a notice saying their power was going to be disconnected on such and such a date and often it was and So you'd be on the phone trying to get somebody's power hooked up. Somebody has two or three children and the power is turned off in their house. I mean, uh, that's major to them, right? As as an MLA, uh, you you end up with uh, a a situation like a woman coming to me and and on a Friday, late Friday afternoon, 
five o'clock Friday afternoon, uh, uh, crying, you know, her children, uh, there was no food in the house, right? So uh, I say, okay, now we understand your situation. Uh, it's too late to get a hold of somebody in community services to try to get you helped out. Uh, the food bank isn't opening until whatever, Tuesday or so on. Here's what we're going to do. So you take your wallet out and you say, Here's a $20 bill that will get you some pork chops or something for supper, uh, tea if you need tea or something, but 20 bucks should get you through supper. I'll be at your house tomorrow morning with some groceries, right? And, uh, I mean, down in our freezer, I had, there were three packages of bacon, right? And two of them go in a Sobeys bag. My son is a, is a hunter and uh, has enjoyed hunting for many years, and there were uh, lots of sausages and so on in the uh, in the uh, freezer uh, and uh, deer and pork combined. And I remember filling up uh, two bags, and my constituency assistant, who didn't have very much money, uh, still doesn't. He lost his job when I lost mine. Uh, he went to Foodland and bought uh, food and uh, so on. So we arrived with four bags of groceries to this woman on Saturday morning, right? So there are things that you you do as an MLA that nobody thinks that an MLA would be involved in such things, right? And, uh, you know, not only... There's some... There's gratification in helping people, but the more people you help, the better you feel yourself because you feel your role is more important, you know? Constituency work was central to how Clary viewed his job. It sounds like this was one of many stories about the people he helped while he was MLA. The ideal role of an MLA, I I believe, is to uh, lobby for uh, your constituents, and that can be uh, lobbying, uh, whether you're in opposition or government. With few exceptions, the MLAs we interviewed told us that their main job was to serve people in the constituency. An MLA can do a lot of marvelous things. We had a contact that we used to call repeatedly in, in Nova Scotia Power Inc. and say, uh, you know, these people are in desperate straits. Uh, let's work something out over the next three or four months for them to bring this power bill down, you know, re-hook up their power, don't disconnect it. And uh, all, of, all of those kinds of things. Uh, you know, just taking... A, an electric heater out of your own house and giving it to somebody that had run out of oil. To use an example of people coming back and saying, look, you know, we're so thankful because uh, we have a budgie and uh, we put that heater that you uh, loaned us under the budgie cage, didn't put it in their bedrooms, eh? they put it under the budgie cage to keep their budgie alive in a cold, you know, a cold night without oil. They still had electricity, so they could plug in a, a heater. But those are the types of things that uh, an MLA does. The job of an MLA, or member of parliament, is a job like no other. 
in the constituency, the expectations constituents have of their MLAs to be problem solvers are high and constant, but there is plenty of room to be creative. In the legislature, the expectations of MLAs are fairly minimal, but highly specific. Vote with your party, speak when it's your turn, support the leadership, don't forget to bow when you walk across the floor of the assembly, and watch out for the mace. Of course, just because the expectations of an MLA in the legislature aren't clear, this hasn't stopped some people from imagining what an ideal legislature might look like. One of the earliest thinkers on this topic was the 19th century's Walter Bagot, a philosopher, economist, and journalist who wrote about the British constitution, parliament, and monarchy. And of course, that's where our system came from. He supposed that there were five functions that were prerequisites for the parliament to perform well. First, it must elect a ministry well. That is to say, the cabinet and the head of government, premier in our case, must have the confidence of the house. This and the other four functions of a parliament are what Bagot proposed for a legislative body, not for individual MPs or MLAs, but it just makes good sense that, by extension, MLAs and MPs would have to approach their jobs with these functions in mind in order for the larger legislature or parliament to do its job well. So, first, it must elect a ministry well. Second, they must legislate well. Third, they must teach the nation well. Fourth, they must express the nation's will well. And fifth, they must bring matters to the nation's attention well. Beckett believed that a strong parliament, or legislature in our case, was one that the executive of government was accountable to, that took its role in lawmaking seriously, and held a responsibility for both educating the public, expressing its will, and in focusing the public's attention on what mattered most. This, again, is the classic textbook definition of the role of a legislature, and by extension, the members of that legislature. But it's not something we heard a great deal about in our conversations with former MLAs. There were two things that Bagot did not mention, and perhaps could not have predicted but become a part of the role of representatives at the time of writing. The first, one that you've already heard about, was the MLA as a sort of caseworker, someone who hears people's problems, legislative or not, and tries to resolve them. The second, which we hadn't explored, was the validating and affirming role an MLA has in a community. Many of the MLAs we interviewed considered the presence of an MLA at a community event to be important as a way of expressing that this person, this group, or this project they were visiting mattered. You know, if, uh, if uh, a community is acknowledging an anniversary of someone's service, say, in the fire department... Uh, and you're able to come as the MLA. Well, this lends this this is a this is a, an uplifting of the matter that the MLA has attended, and and you're able to say a few words, and if you're able to you know say these with some level of sincerity, this this uh, 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 this is a, this is a kind of a, a passing of symbolic power to, to the people themselves. This this affirming, uh, this, this is a, this is a wonderful joy, uh, and uh, uh, I. Uh, uh, I, you're doing that all the time. So many MLAs speak about the burden of attending birthday parties and so on, like they you know, give another certificate at 90th birthday. I just find it a hoot. It's a blast. It's a it's a it's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, and you, uh, I, I have some of that sort of symbolic affirming capacity. That's part of what happens with a minister in a community. But it's that kind of underlined in capital letters as an MLA. It's a greater power. It's a, uh, and it's, it's a big joy. According to the MLAs we spoke with, 
These events take up a huge amount of time, and when the legislature is in session, MLAs feel conflicted about missing out on them and take a lot of heat for doing so from their constituents. MLAs and political staff do a good job of describing the reality of the world they are living and working in. When we asked MLAs about what the ideal role of an MLA would be, the answer we got was more about the actual role they performed than anything different than it. The basic role of an MLA will never change. It's to represent your constituents. That's the basic role. There's obviously a role to, pr- provide, to play in the, in the direction and uh, functioning of the, of the province as a whole. But the main role is to, to represent the people in your own constituency. Okay. There is, there's no job description that quantifies or qualifies the role of an MLA. Uh, I, I think the only way to truly appreciate what the job requires is to become an MLA. But some MLAs took us up on the invitation to think about what might be possible. Former PC Environment Minister Mark Parent did so by sharing some of the frustrations about the strict control facing MLAs and MPs when they take their jobs. I said when I went into politics, I had a thin thin skin and a tender heart. I think what you need is a thick skin, but keep the tender heart. The trouble is most people get a thick skin and a tough heart. Um, So I think that that's, you know... If we could reform politics and get it back to to more greater democracy, I think it would have greater respect. It's just as frustrating in, in, in that it's become so dictatorial that, that it, it, you know, here we live in a democracy and at the center of it's a dictatorship. And that, I think, is a contradiction. Another one who took us up on that question was former Liberal leader and Halifax Citadel MLA, Danny Graham. How would you describe the role of an MLA, the ideal role of an MLA, to someone who's just entering the job? Um, you know, if you had the opportunity to shape it and say, you know, some people do this, some people do this, but this is, you know, the uh, what the job is for. If we gave you that power, what would it look like? Mm. I I think that there is a a real need for them to. Um, explicitly be asked to uh, consider best practices for public policy from other jurisdictions across a wide variety of um, subject areas, economic, cultural, social, uh, environmental kind of issues, political, reform. I think there needs to be a a more explicit expectation on our MLAs to be curious uh, about how things work in what are the best practices from other jurisdictions and begin to uh, advocate for them uh, here. Yeah, that would be largely it. Walter Baggett lived and wrote about the ideal role of a parliament at a time when voting rights were limited to a wealthy few when literacy rates were substantially lower than they are now, and before the advent of many modern technologies and social norms. It's understandable that the role of MLA and MP has changed since then. Voting rights have expanded to include many of those who were initially excluded from participating in elections. It makes sense that those who make the laws are spending more of their time focused on helping the people in the communities who have traditionally been neglected than once might have been the case. 
And traditionally, the way that MLA has helped those people has been offline, by making a call and using the title of MLA to ask for someone's power to be kept on so that it won't be shut off on a cold night. But are there other ways that an MLA can help? Perhaps ways that get to the root of systemic problems like poverty and inequality in our communities? Or as one new MLA I recently spoke with said, are there other superpowers that come with the job? A new crop of Nova Scotian lawmakers are just beginning to adjust to holding the title of MLA inside and outside of the legislature. And it's worth each of them taking the time to reflect on how an MLA can effectively use the power that comes as public office for the greater good. And it's worth each of us as voters and their constituents doing the same. Thanks for listening to this episode of On the Record Off Script. This episode was written and produced by me, Mark Coffin, and it was edited by Louise Cockrum, the research lead for the Offscript project. Sound production help came from Sandra Hannebaum. The theme music you're hearing is from Josh Spacek at Needledrop.co, and the rest of the music you heard comes from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech. You can support the podcast by going to offscript.ca slash donate, and don't forget to rate us in Apple Podcasts, which helps us uh, get the podcast to people with similar interests to you, which gives us more listeners, which helps us produce better podcasts. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast, and many more podcast aggregator apps. 